Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. All right, no need for coffee on this Monday morning. Head into his eighth season in Bloomington, the head coach of the Hoosiers, Tom Allen, joins us right now. Coach, good Monday morning to you. Good morning, my man. How you doing, buddy? We are great. Uh, appreciate the time. It sounds like we're going to have a little QB competition, maybe extended into the summer. Yes, we are. Been a really good spring. Guys are busting their tails, working hard. Uh, both quarterbacks uh, uh, have been uh, doing some great work, but uh, the summer's going to be huge. The preparation process continues and into fall camp, so we'll, uh, we don't know what start at this time. Coach, we always hear, it's kind of a cliche, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, that you know, this is the time of year when when championship level teams are really built, or just in general when you kind of find out who your team is. What sort of things, as a head coach, do you look for in the off season, and what sort of areas can a team come together that maybe people would not be aware of when they're not actually playing games? You know, I think it's the player led piece. You know, it's the the leadership that shows up, you know, in the workouts when, you know, as we say, it's the dirty hard work in the dark, you know, that nobody sees, you know, the early morning workouts, uh, even the spring practices when no one's there, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and March and April, um, who's willing to, to do a great job on the days when you don't have to do things and, and guys voluntarily organize their teammates uh, to come together uh, and, and do great things and, and do the little things that it takes to to prepare and, and build your, you know, as we call it, the, the, the confidence that you rely on, that you depend on in those critical situations. That's built this time of year, you know, and those the, the players on your team, you know, oftentimes we can't be with them in parts of the summer and parts in the spring. And even on the weekends and things they do additional and extra, even in the summertime when they have the ball out to throw it, they, they can only be there themselves, not us. So a lot of leadership is built. So we put a lot into that, and it tells you a lot about your team. When you have players, Tom Allen's our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, the head football coach at Indiana. When you, and when I say you, coach, I mean Tom Allen, you know, whatever school, whatever coach we're talking about here, just generically speaking. But you always want athletes, and I know that. I mean, I, I totally understand that you are trying to recruit athletes. But at the same time, sometimes kids that are overly athletic, it doesn't mean that that sport is their first love and the game is not yet instinctive to them. And just having the ability and the moment and the heat of it to, to make the right decision or to, to approach the right way isn't instinctive. How do you, how do you grow or coach instinct? Well, I, I do think that's challenging, without question. Uh, I do think you have to put your guys in competitive situations as much as possible. That's why in the recruiting process, it's critical to find this out. Uh, we call it competitive greatness, and I think it's found through seeing guys play other sports, uh, being in situations where they got to compete, you know, and, and find a way in tough spots. So when there's pressure put on them, you know, it's three and two. You know, they're playing baseball. you got a full count. It's uh, bottom of the ninth, two outs, runner on third. you got to – Got to find a way to get him in, you know, taking a free throw shot with little time left or, you know, just whatever it is, you know, to be able to put in those situations. And then when you have them on your team, you have to try and put and, and put them under stress and put them in a situation where they have to dig down deep and find a way to make a play when, when things are stacked against them. So uh, I do think that is hard to try to f- figure out sometimes in the recruiting process, but you're right. You want to have a, a really talented football player that has that something special about them that allows them to be at their best when it counts the most. And he's Tom Allen. He's with us here on this Monday morning on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Coach, as you kind of evaluated things this offseason, what would you point to as areas that have to improve to kind of get back to where you guys were at as a program in 2019 and 2020? Well, a big focus we did was a fourth quarter study. You know, we had eight games where we uh, they were you know, one-score games. Uh, we were ahead or behind within a score to start the fourth quarter, and they decided the game. And so finishing those games out is going to be critical. We did not finish five of those eight out and uh, did not have the season that we wanted. And you just think about a couple of those 
change around and it changes everything for you and your program. So to me, it's about the execution in those critical times. It's run the football in those situations. We, we, uh, we have to improve that. We have to stop the run in those situations. As a defense, we've got to do a better job of playing complementary football in those situations where all three phases have to work together. When we did that, we got the outcome we wanted. When we didn't, we did not get the outcome. So uh, that's been the focus, and it's about building the toughness of our team, the mental and physical toughness to finish in those games. We know they're going to be close. We've had a bunch of close games since I've been here. That's not going to change. We're going to play a very difficult schedule every season, one of the most difficult in the country. We've got to find a way to finish. Speaking of that schedule, it'll be September 2nd in Bloomington. Ohio State will come to town. Do you like the fact that Ohio State is the opener? I do. You know, when you think about opening with that type of an opponent, uh, the urgency that it creates in your whole offseason is, is, uh, is awesome. You know, and you can't fabricate that if it's not that type of an opponent. We've had several of these types of games since I've been here. This is the fifth time since I've been here we've opened the season against the Big Ten team. That's unprecedented in our program's history. But you know what? Uh, that's something that you know, I have no control over that. But at the same time, I do like the, the, uh, the way that it causes your players to be able to, to have uh, a sense of urgency from the very beginning. And we got three more months here before we start fall camp. And every, every single day, every single month here is going to be critical. Coach, in your time since becoming the head coach at Indiana, how would you say that as a coach, whether it be X's and O's or just off-field preparation, how have you grown or changed as a coach? I would say there's two big areas would just be trying to become a better head coach of the team, you know, in different situations to be able to, uh, you know, have opportunities within my schedule to build relationships with our players and, and the importance of that with our coaches and being able to coach them and help them grow professionally. Uh, I, I think managing the game, going through that process of, of learning that and going through and, man, you know, just maximizing even the, the, the way that we evaluate ourselves and the way we communicate during games to be able to put ourselves in the best position, you know, at those uh, critical situations, you have to make those decisions. And so I just think you continue to learn and grow and still, still a, a process you go through without question because it means about managing people, leading individuals to be able to maximize them both as players and as coaches. You know, for me, when I think about it, Tom Allen's our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. When I think about when I was a young person in college, Coach, I'm the first to admit, you know, I had the attention span of a gnat, right? Like things held my interest for like two weeks and then I was on to the next thing. And when I, when I think about, you know, your energy level is obviously almost unprecedented within the Big Ten. And I think that's necessary in coaching college athletics. I also, at times, get concerned that that's difficult to hold on to for a player for four years. Is that a fair assessment, and does it require for you adjustment? Well, I would say this. You know, you know when you think about our games, we have to play at a fever pitch every time we take the field. And that, that to me, is hard to do for a young man. You, you study the – the, they call it emotional response that you have, you know, psychologically within yourself as a person, as a player, as a young person. And so I think, yeah, you do have to manage that part um, in regards to uh, the way you um, approach things and, and get after things. And for me, you know, there's no question, you know, I think in terms of uh, just how you even, you know, handle yourself during a game and to be able to weather the ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And I think that's something that without question I've tried to, to work on. But I also believe that there's a certain energy you have to have to recruit in this conference, the way you, the energy you have to have to do the things you have to do every single day and all the things that uh, require of you as a coach and, and as you, you know, your, your players take on your personality as, as well, which I think is, is something that does happen. So, yeah, I think there's no question. You know, it, it is not a, a sprint, uh, you know, each and every day. Uh, but at the same time, you have to have that energy to be able to go and, and, and bring it out of our guys. And so, but I think for sure, you know, when you think about what we require of our guys year round, uh, and that's why we've kind of even built in some more time to try and get our guys away uh, from us, because I think that's important to be able to have that mental and physical break uh, because we train year round now, you know, and that hadn't, wasn't the case in the past. And, and now we're doing things in, in June more than we've ever done in the past with our players and, the OTA type situations that the NCAA has given us now. So I think because of that, yeah, you need to be able to create some time away. You can have a, a better balance maybe in some way. So when you are back, when you are doing things with your team, you have a lot of energy and you have an excitement towards what's next. You know, there's a symbiotic relationship, Coach, between individual success and then team success. And then, of course, perhaps the team success leading to individual success elsewhere. The reality is your job 
is to build the best football team you can for Indiana University. And at the same time, you have players now that are testing the waters or that have graduated that are going through the process with the NFL draft. So you want those players to have individual success, but at the same time, during the time that they're at Indiana, their job is to be the best football player for Indiana, not necessarily for the NFL. And you might have guys that have one eye on one and not the other. That's got to be difficult, I would imagine. But just give me your overall reaction. Um, You know, the players that you have that have draft potential, which do you think would be the best football player for a professional franchise to look at? And who are you the most excited for? Well, and you are correct, and I, and I think that's the, the beauty of what we do as coaches, especially in the sport of football. It's such a great team sport. It revolves so many people. And so the big thing that we want to our guys to know is, hey, when, when the team does well and you buy into the team, no matter what the current circumstances are in college football, that when that team does well, the individuals get recognized. And so that's, that's what happens, and we've had several of those guys on this team that have been here for many years. And, and kind of top of that list is Cam Jones, who became – you know, our unquestioned leader this past season has just developed and grown so much as a player. Came here when he was first committed to us was a wide receiver. Then we, then we first played him when he first got here at, at our Husky position, which is kind of a hybrid outside linebacker safety spot, and then moved him into the, into the box and played him in the, at the weak side backer spot. But I do think he's, from being at the Combine to the to the Senior Bowl to different things, he's grown through. He has the highest chance of being drafted, the highest, and, and a lot of communication with those teams. So, Tremendous future for him. Great leader, great player. Excited for him and and Taiwan Mullen and, J- and Jalen Williams and Devon Matthews, three guys in our secondary that have a lot, play a lot of football here. Done some great things for us. Think they have a great shot to be able to be a great asset to an NFL team. And you got Luke Haggard and DJ Matthews and Sean Shivers as well on offense. The guys that that have been uh, evaluated, been in All Star games this off season, have teams come through here and evaluate them. So several guys out off this past year that've been here for several years and. Just proud of them and excited for what the future has for them. Again, Tom Allen is with us heading into year eight at the helm of the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, Coach, we had Ryan Walters on last week, and I know you know it's obviously a lot different when a guy's taking over a program for his first year versus where you're at at this point in your tenure. But he was mentioning with us, after spring practice, they will look to find, I think he said, eight to nine guys in the transfer portal. How active will you try to be now in the portal here post-spring? Well, there's a 15-day window that we're in right now, and so we're being, you know, I would say very active, not a big number for us. You know, we, we've gotten most of our spots filled, but you're just trying to go through and, and just fill in a few key spots that you have remaining and, and trying to evaluate who can come in and be the best fit for you to give you what you need. And sometimes it might be, a, you know, certain depth of the position or maybe a guy to come in and be a compete to start at a certain position based on what you saw. I think the spring gives you a good feeling for where you are, you know, in regards to that. And so bottom line is, that, yeah, it's now the new part of this, this uh, you know, system that we go through in regards to our evaluation and the recruiting calendar that we have now is a, a new 15-day window that we're in right now, and, and we'll bring some players in. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how it's changed very, very efficiently in the last couple of years, but this is what it is now. I don't see it going back, and it's kind of a constant evaluation of your roster, constant competition guys seeing where they are and sometimes guys decide that they want to have a chance to play more maybe somewhere else will the offensive line be something that you look at yes it will be and just trying to you, know, you have somebody what you know have every position has a certain number that you target to have on your team on scholarship and so there's a, a spot there we're looking to fill and then we got just different spots it's more some in, individual spots at certain areas but uh always want to be able to increase that area, those guys have worked hard, and Coach Bose said, their new offensive line coach, and, and really excited about what he's done this spring, but it's got to continue throughout the summer and into fall camp. So, yeah, we'll line for sure. Coach, I'll end with this, and, and I hope this makes sense the way I'm asking this. When you have different quarterbacks that play a different style, and you are having to select which one is your guy you're going to go with, is it a matter of determining which style you want to run and then going with the quarterback that pl- that plays that way, or is it a matter of the guy that runs his particular style with the most efficiency versus the other guys and the style that they run and how well they run it? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? Because it does seem like you have a couple of options in terms of the way you want to play offensively. Yeah, there, there's no question. I think at different positions, you know, you'd like to be able to have some 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 variableness to that position where a guy they're not just everyone's identical you know and I think you look at the running back room receiver room you kind of say the same thing even tight ends and so 
you think about offensive skill positions and quarterback is similar, but at the same time, you have an overall system that you want to run. And for me, I feel like we have a, a group of guys that all have the ability to throw it and run it. And that to me is the key component to this. And so, but the, the, the passing piece is a premium. You got to be able to throw the football. We, we know that, but boy, you know, establishing that run game is critical. So to me, I think we have a room of guys for the first time, you know, in a while that all have the ability to do both, which is important. And so now you're just trying to find the best one. And you will tweak it to, and adjust it to their strength without question because you want them to be able to maximize what they have. But like I said, we, feel like we have a room of guys that can do both of those things. And then based on who that person is, then you'll adjust accordingly to their skill set and, and the, the, to be able to allow them to be able to maximize that on game day. Now, Coach, when is your birthday, by the way? March 14th. So on March 14th, when you uh, – this past March 14th. Birthday. That's your brother's birthday? Yeah. Oh, okay. When, when you – when the the cake is in front of you and everybody's singing and the candles are burning and you've got to make your wish, uh, do you always wish, just give me one year with the, the with a healthy quarterback the whole year? Like just oh, once, goodness. right? Yeah, I mean, just, just once. Please. I agree. It's been a challenge for us and <laughs> – and it makes a big difference. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's a birthday wish for sure. Coach, last, last one. Uh, I know how you're going to end this interview. You're going to throw out the acronym of LEO. How – I know you've been asked this. How and where did that begin? You know, just over time, as a coach, coach at the high school level, college level, all different levels within those two uh, areas, you know, small colleges, small high schools, and big high schools, and, and you know, in the Power Five of – the SEC and the Big Ten, and here's what I found out. The, the best teams that I was a part of loved each other. The best teams cared about each other. The best teams I was a part of had a strong connection, and those players knew, and they had a strong bond to each other and to their coaches. So to me, that's where it came from. Also, man of faith, and you know, it came from Scripture, John 15, 12, but just being able to, to make it bigger than football as well, that when they know that you care about it way beyond the game, I think it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game changer. And I think love's a great motivator. It's a powerful thing that I, I know our guys believe in. But it's about accountability. And that's the part that people miss a little bit. It's accountability and toughness that is kind of wrapped up in that phrase of LEO. Because when they know you care about them, and you have a, you've earned the right to push them, to drive them to become great in this life. I can feel the sweat dripping down my neck after that. Coach, terrific stuff. Thank you for joining us here on this Monday morning. And uh, good luck this fall. Awesome, buddy. Have a great day. LEO. It is 8 o'clock. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. In Indianapolis, technically it is 8.01 in Indianapolis on a great-looking Monday morning to you. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here as well. If you're just joining us, where have you been? Uh, we talked a little NBA earlier and the Colts' upcoming NFL draft. Tom Allen, the head football coach at Indiana, just joined us for a lengthy conversation about the Hoosier spring practice and their potential draft picks as well and what they have meant to the program. That will be up on the podcast later. But Kevin... Back to talking a little more about what may or may not take place over on 56th Street on Thursday. Thursday night, round one of the NFL Draft, two and three on Friday, and then four through seven on Saturday. He'll be a busy man all week long, and he joins us right now from the star, Joel A. Erickson. Joel, good Monday morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Big week. Big week for for all of us. Yes, amen to that. Hallelujah. We'll finally get some answers on things. Joel, I want to begin with a Chris Ballard clip from Friday. And, you know, it's a Friday noon press conference. It's the pre-draft presser. Just think naturally things kind of get lost in the shuffle. But I'm going to have Mark play this clip from Ballard on Friday. I thought when it happened during the press conference, the fact that it was rather unprompted was also interesting to me. And, um... We'll play this clip, and then I'll have you react to it. 
this is the main assumption right now that we have targeted one guy to go get i don't i don't know if that's an accurate assumption um in fact i say it's not and so i think you got to wait till draft you can't like before the fact you got to wait till draft day and see how things unfold and then be able to react accordingly joel was that uh in reference to will levis if yeah i i think it could be because that that seems to be the the consensus that people are talking about now um in terms of like the national guys and who they're predicting is that the Colts Colts like will levis there's also a part of that answer that makes me wonder he said you know there's one guy that we're targeting to go get if you put that in conjunction with some of the other stuff he said about not knowing how this draft is going to go uh and then the the sort of um uncertainty surrounding the Texans pick which which depending on who you talk to feels like it might be tipping towards more certainty that they don't want a quarterback then you know does that mean that does that mean that he's he's saying we don't have one guy targeted because someone's going to somebody else is going to be available that maybe you haven't thought is available for two months um that that was the other thing I thought about thought while, while listening to that clip was you know we we've Maybe we've assumed that some that two people are going to be off the board, and that's not the way it's going to work. And then, of course, he just could be lying. Yep. <laughs> See, I, my my thought is this. My thought is uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig my heels in even even deeper, and I want you guys to tell me if you think I'm totally out of my mind, at least on this topic. Um, I maintain I think Chris Ballard, Joel, from the very beginning, looked at these four quarterbacks and said. I don't feel that the difference between these four is a great enough chasm to mortgage what I already have in the hand to move up to get any of them because I think there is a negligible difference two to four, and so therefore I am safe just staying at four and and having my pick of either one or two of them or maybe even three of them that remain when I'm selecting at four, and I'm happy with whichever of those three that I end up with. Your thoughts? Well, he did say at the owners' meetings, I asked him point blank if, uh, you know, because we were talking about why they didn't trade up for number one. He said they didn't feel comfortable with making the move at that time. They didn't feel like anybody was so far ahead and because they wanted to go through the rest of the process. And when I asked him, well, are you worried that you're going to get through the process and realize that there was one guy you should have moved up for um, and didn't, and, and now you can't because the Panthers are already up there. And his answer to that was... We think this is a pretty deep quarterback class, um, so that that plays into what you're saying there. I, I find it a little bit. I think that there's probably a decent pecking order. There's got to be some kind of pecking order. If it, like by now, after they've talked to all three of them and put in all this work on all three of them, I would think that that Steichen's information would probably push uh, one of those guys at least a little bit over. Now, how big that difference is, maybe. I think it's possible that you have it. I, I don't know that that you that you have it pegged. I, I don't know that. I just keep thinking if if you're grading all these quarterbacks as different as they all are, depending on what what you have, surely somebody's got to come out over the top. I I could be wrong. Joel, as we sit here on Monday morning, Joel A. Erickson from the Star with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Will Levis is the clear favorite to go number two overall, according to Vegas. And C.J. Stroud right now is the fourth most likely guy to go number two overall. A lot of this chatter is stemming from reported S2 scores that C.J. Stroud did very poorly on. Again, this is all reported. Um, for those unfamiliar with the S2, can you explain um, as best you can just kind of what this is all about? Is this the new Wonderlick? And if you have any thoughts on how the Colts might view this particular test? Yeah, so so the S2, it's there's been a, there's, this test has been around now for, um, I think I first heard about it in 18. I didn't know it was called the S2 at the time, but there's there's been talk that there's a new um you know, mental test that, that that's been developed, and what it, it measures, it doesn't measure intelligence. It doesn't matter uh, measure like book learning and that kind of thing. It it's it measures reaction time. It's got this special pad that can measure reactions up to two millimeters of a second or something like that. Something I'm probably getting the, the measurements wrong, but like it's it's this super fast thing. Baseball players, 
baseball players use it too because you know baseball obviously a lot of it is pitch recognition and figuring out in a very small amount of time where that ball is going and where it's going to be and what it's what it's going to do when it does that um but there's there's nine different things that they test them on and it's all designed in reaction time and being able to pick things out so like I know one of the things that they do is like you'll have a screen full of red, of small red shapes, and it measures how fast you find the one red triangle in it. Um, it's it's so it's designed for quick reaction. It's designed for picking things out. I know they also have a way to measure how many objects you can track at one time among a crowded field. Um, so like say like the normal person can can track three different things at one time among a crowded field. Uh, Apparently, professional athletes can, like, some of the best ones can do, like, six, which, uh, as a parent of three children, I wish I had that <laughs> um, for, for, like, the Indiana State Fair and some of the other stuff. Uh, but but it's, supposed to, it's supposed to test better the stuff that a quarterback actually has to do on the field, because I think we all know by now that um, you can prepare and learn and know the offense really, really well, but there is an element of... You have to be able to do it in real time on the field that some guys are just better at. And that's what this test purports to get at. So DJ Stroud has been reportedly has reported been reported to have low scores on by multiple people. Um, I know Tom Pelissero, Bob McGinn uh, have both reported that. And the interesting thing was in McGinn's story, I read McGinn's story and he, he quoted some executives saying, you can do well on the S2 cognition test and not be great. Like, they've had misses like that. But they haven't had anybody be bad on the S2 cognition and then play much better than that, play well. So that's, that's the interesting piece. Now, it's, it's, still a, it's still a relatively newish test. I think we're talking about, like, seven or eight, eight years. And only half the so, league, right, is all, all in on it? Uh, yeah, I think 16 of the 32 teams is what the reported number is that use it. I asked uh, Chris Ballard about this at the Combine after he was done talking. And uh, he kind of, Chris usually answers something. <laughs> and he didn't really answer anything. I think I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was sort of a, I don't want to get into that. Um, and I don't know if that was a, I don't want to get into that because we don't use it, or if I don't want to get into that because he likes it and doesn't just doesn't want to. Um, get into proprietary information since not all the teams use it, but it's it's a relatively it's a relatively new thing. But there are teams that I know from experience. Not not speaking about the Colts, there there are other teams that have have like put quarterbacks up as test cases, and they they're the test performed well for them. But isn't there always something? Call me a cynic here. That there's always something that like is the new hot thing and it's like oh no this is huge like teams really invest in it and then once everybody is in on it then it's like yeah we don't we don't actually pay that much attention to that i mean the wonder like for example peyton manning got a 28 and ryan fitzpatrick got a 48 you know i mean tom brady got a 30 and blaine gabbert got a 44 and it's like well maybe and then there it seems like there are always metrics that for the first couple of years that they are introduced, it is assumed that everybody's all in. And then after like a couple of years, we're on to the next fad. Uh, am I being too cynical here, Joel? Um, not necessarily. I mean, if if there's exceptions to that rule, uh, again, this is still a fairly new thing. So if there become exceptions to that rule where somebody scores low and plays over that, and that those that starts happening a lot, then I think teams will, would – would push it down some, but um, they're 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 also always looking for a way. They're also always looking for a way to figure out how to quantify this thing about quarterbacks that you know famously they're, they're impossible to pick. About one in three in the first round over the last twenty years or whatever um, have actually turned into franchise type quarterbacks, and that covers a wide range of different styles, different types of players, different sizes. There's just a whole bunch of different things there. And um, the NFL has been trying, like, they, obviously they've been trying to figure out a way to predict better uh, how a quarterback is going to play once he's in there. And, and to me, I, I think that regardless of whether or not this test measures it correctly, 
I think the thing that probably is the link between like guys like Drew Brees and Patrick Mahomes, who to me have almost completely different skill sets other than the fact that they're both good athletes, is that they have the processing ability in real time and they, they know the right move to make in real time at, at speed. And that, that's how you account for somebody who doesn't have a strong arm and someone who does have a strong arm. Uh, and they're, they're trying to find a way to measure that. They've been trying to find a way to measure that for as long as they've been drafting quarterbacks. Joel, I want to read you a quote. I want you to give me your assessment of it. Joel Erickson from the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the Payless Sickers Hotline. This from Chris Ballard, quote, talking to the media. I think you all feel the pressure more than I do sometimes, end quote. Is that, well, just your overall reaction? Um, well, I, I, okay. I do think that there's probably, well, I think the way the offseason gone is probably, probably backs that up. If, if you, if he was a GM who felt the pressure that, that's been talked about, in some circles or that that's been bandied about about the possibility of like, he has to, he has to win this year to save his job. I, I mean, if he was feeling that pressure, I would have signed more than in free agency than I did. Um, and I think the other thing is that we don't have all of the information that they have. And so we end up talking through a bunch of different scenarios and all the talk and all the change and everything kind of heightens the pressure. Um, plus I, I just, I think that, that if you're in the media and you're talking about it all the time, you're a little bit less insulated from, from the outside world. If you're, if you're grinding on tape and in scouting meetings all the time, and you're not necessarily other than like, I know, you know, Chris's kids are going to, uh, you know, they're, they're playing sports and stuff like that. And I'm sure he's out in the community and, and same thing for psychic, but they, they work a lot in that building. And so they're, they're talking to people who are also making a decision with them. I, I do think that probably, the pressure feels heightened outside to him as far as him feeling it. I will say this. He also said at the owners' meetings that anytime you don't have a franchise quarterback, you feel the pressure to get one. So it's not like he doesn't feel any pressure. But I do think that it, may, it might not be quite the same fervor that it is outside the building just because it's what they're doing every day. It's sort of the same thing as, well, really any profession. There's a difference between thinking what the job is and knowing what the job is. Joel A. Erickson is with us here from the Indianapolis Star. Joel, I do want to shift away from quarterback. Um, let's go to Friday night. Right now they're picking at 35, and I think the other one's at 80 or 79, something like that, in round three. What position on Friday night would make you scratch your head? Like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Running back. <laughs> is that the only one? Um. Would linebacker make you all of a sudden say, "Ooh, boy, Shaquille Leonard"? Line, linebacker is the second one. Run, running back and linebacker are probably the two that if if they did those, um, just because and with with running back, it's kind of it's kind of the same argument for both of them. It's not just who they have on the roster, but just they've they've been successful at finding guys um, to fill the spots that they would need to fill on this roster further down in the draft. So yeah, especially linebacker. Yeah, 35 would surprise me. You know, you have Taylor, so if you're drafting a running back, you're drafting a backup. Well, they, I mean, they got Jordan Wilkins and Naheem Hines in the fourth round. You know, like, you don't need to take one that high. Um, so both of those kind of fit in the same thing. But linebacker, for sure. I mean, Chris Ballard can draft linebackers. I mean, it, he's, he's had misses at other positions. but he can, he can find a linebacker that they can develop into something. So um, those would be the two spots that would surprise me. I think the, the spot that would maybe surprise me the least, I, I'm sort of expecting corner at 35 KB. Yeah, speaking of corner, do, do they need two corners or do they need two offensive linemen? What do they need more of, a pair of corners or a pair of offensive linemen? Both. <laughs> I think maybe both. Um, you know, they lost 1,500 snaps at cornerback with uh, Gilmore and Faison, Gilmore obviously being the much more important one of those two. Um, but, the, you know, the 450 snaps that Brandon Faison took, that's that's also not insignificant. Um, and, and so, they, you know, they, they've, Ballard mentioned at the owners' meetings, he mentioned Dallas Flowers and Isaiah Rogers, and they've got Kenny Moore. That's still three. You need five. You, you need five to play. Um, and Flowers, for all of his gifts, 
he's still got to put that together, you know, as an undrafted free agent, which um, – so I, I would think you need two corners. And then the other thing, the offensive line, that they haven't really added anything there yet. And, um, you know, depth-wise, number one, you probably – I think the Colts believe in Bernard Ryman as a starting left tackle, uh, or at least they're, they're willing to, to see where that goes this season. At right guard, I think you can make the case that they need to, they probably need a new starter or someone who could compete for that starting job. But then beyond that, you know, you, you need depth too. You need you need depth pieces beyond that because they're not going to play five all season, and your depth pieces were bad last year. So, yeah, I think they need two, maybe three there, uh, not necessarily in the draft, but they've got to get somebody in free agency. I think the lack of moves, at, the lack of any kind of move at those two positions has been surprising this all season. I've wondered this, Joel, is this draft, and maybe not in the first day or two, but did they throw us a curveball and show that maybe the Colts have decided it's time to reinvent themselves at the tight end position? I think they have, I think Kylan Granson has shown some flash. I think they like Moali Cox's size, but when you look at field-stretching players across its copycat league, they don't have playmakers at tight end. And if one's out there, I think he's going to be tempted. Your thoughts? Uh, he said he thought the tight end class was the best in that he's ever seen in the NFL the other day. Yeah, he was gushing about uh, that. Yeah, he was gushing about the tight end class. And I, KB and I actually had this conversation in the room after he left. Like, if there's a tight end out there, don't you take him. I will say this, though, Jake. I think because of the presence of Jelani Woods and the potential that we saw from him last year, I think like his ceiling out of the the guys that they have at, at either receiver or tight end, like what he can do as as a field stretcher and getting down the field, if if, we, if given the chances, I think he's. I think I think there's a lot there. So I almost think that if if the guy's going to be a guy, it would be more of an all around type to go with him to do some of the some of the blocking stuff that maybe kept him off the field last year. And maybe he moves to more of an F tight end, more of a receiving tight end, and you, you try to go with somebody who can be more of the all-around Jack Doyle type. Now, it's a little hard without knowing the offense, what James Sykin wants out of the tight end position, but I, I thought that maybe if you were going to go tight end, you'd go a little bit more all-around. Joel, we'll, we'll end with this, and thank you for the time. Um, it's probably only – or more so for my curiosity than anything. But let's say, for example, we get to like Wednesday evening, and for some reason we know that it's going to be Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Anderson in some order as the first three picks. How many people do you think inside the Colts building will know exactly what they plan to do then on Thursday night? Like, is this just a Chris Ballard, Shane Steichen thing? Is Jim Irsay there? Is Ed Dodds there? Like, how tight-lipped do you think this is? I think it's probably the, the list you mentioned is good. I think there might be a couple extra that would have some idea. Like a Morocco um, Brown or Jim Bob Cooter, maybe. Yeah, Morocco Brown. You know, Jamie Moore. Like some of the some of the other scouting types would have an idea. Uh, but I do think it. I do think it's very very close to the best. I, if you if you want uh, a, an inclination of what people know about the Colts, go read uh, Albert Breer's post. Uh, that he put up for for uh, the Monday morning quarterback today, and it, his his Colts entry. He was all over the board, wasn't he? Yes, his Colts entry is all over the board, and I think it, I think there might even be a sentence that essentially says we don't know. That's that's how the Colts like to operate with with everything, really. But uh, and they're pretty good at it. That's the other thing is that I've I've covered I've covered teams that that pretended that they wanted to be uh, good about keeping people from knowing stuff, and they weren't. The Colts are actually pretty good at keeping national people from figuring out where they're headed. Yeah, this was Breer's comments. Um, four days out, few believe the Colts will look anywhere else at number four than QB. Um, which QB that they'll take is Mercure. Levis has had a rough pre-draft process, but I've heard his name linked to the Colts over and over, and I heard he made a very positive impression with the Manning brothers at their passing academy, and obviously Jim Mersey still listens to Peyton. Then there are rumblings that the traits happy Chris Ballard is intrigued by Richardson, while assistant GM Ed Dodds likes C.J. Stroud, who's seen as the best fit for Shane Steichen's offense. Yeah, so there's there's a piece, this is, this is a little bit inside baseball, but I think it's good here. If you listen to like the way Beer wrote that, all of it sounds like his sources on the Colts are not within the Colts building. It's what people around the league believe about 
about what the Colts or are people do. that used to be around the Colts building and aren't anymore, right? Yeah, it's it, like he even has that. He even has that in the. That's the way he wrote it. He didn't write. I have a direct source saying. Um, it's 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 around the league, and and the thing about that is sometimes league chatter. As somebody who kind of has to be in that space a lot, sometimes when you talk to other people, they have a good idea of what's going on. It just they'll say, "Well, this just makes too much sense," and then the, then the signing happens. Like the Philip Rivers one was a good example of that. Um, but there's also been times where, you know, I go somewhere and to one of the big off season meetings, and everyone's talking about, "Well, I think the Colts are going to do this," and it's not where the Colts are headed at all. I mean, if you think back to the coaching search. There were a bunch of reporters saying, you know, people around the league believe that the Colts are going to hire Jeff Saturday. Well, Shane Sykes is here now. So the, the, the doing it from anything other than direct, which it sounds like is, is what you kind of have to do because the Colts aren't talking to anybody, is it makes, it, makes that pick really hard for Dick. Joel, as best you can, get some rest, man. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do because it gets, like, you know, you know, and you've got a show to do on, on Friday, so. Uh, it's it's it gets pretty uh, pretty time intensive there at the end of the week. Certainly does. Happy for some answers though. Uh, thank you, Joel. Mm, yep. Thanks. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Turn me on, guys. At 9 o'clock hour here on a Monday. Gosh, Tom Allen's energy at 7.30 was something this morning. That's how we started things off. Joel A. Erickson. Around 8 o'clock. We haven't talked a ton of NBA. Jake, that was a really tough scene to see late in um, the Heat Game 3 win over the Bucks. What would that have been? Saturday? When Victor Oladipo went down. First off, it's just kind of... It really kind of sums up where Victor is at at this stage in his career. That you know he's, he's in a playoff game when they're up 30 or whatever it was. Very late. And he drives to the basket... In, in a way, it did remind me of the injury here against Toronto. The, the the Toronto one was more of a breakaway, but it was kind of the same angle on the floor. And he goes up and just kind of slipped, and just that knee really gave out. And reported yesterday a torn patella tendon in the left knee, which is the opposite one of his original injury. And for a guy that turns 31 years old at the end of next week, Jake, you got to think if... Uh, we'll ever see him again and if we do what that looks like i i think the thing that's going to be hard is you naturally have you know so often kevin and i'm not talking about athletes i'm talking about the weekend warrior types right but so often when one injury happens you end up creating problem elsewhere because you are subconsciously favoring a different part of your body to compensate for the area that's not at full throttle. And the challenge for Victor Oladipo during his rehabilitation of a left patellar tendon tear is the fact that the knee that he now is going to probably more favor for a while, the right leg, is the one where he's had multiple problems. The quad tears and, you know, so, you know, that... that that kind of athleticism, that kind of explosion, I, you know, it's it's unfortunate because even after the injuries, he still played at a high level. But y- yes, you are correct. I mean, does he? This this was his second chance, right? If not his third, and arguably final. I mean, it. it 
You know, I, I kind of feel even the if way. You're, even if you're him, right? Even if you're him, right? You're like, okay, I'm good. And I think a lot of it goes back to like playing style. And, and I guess this gets into a little bit of our Lamar Lamar Jackson debate we had last month. You know, when you're talking about a player of Lamar Jackson's style, you know, what is the staying power? How long can you sustain such unique athletic traits in that case as a runner at the quarterback position before you are a passer? In Oladipo's case, this is a 6-4 shooting guard, which by NBA standards is not tall. He's a guy that does not shoot the ball consistently from behind the arc. So in order for him to be at whatever level he sniffed here in Indiana, which you know was kind of an all-star level, you've got to be that tremendous, high-flying, reckless athlete that is ability to have a Russell Westbrook. Like, it's amazing that Westbrook has sustained that athletic ability so deep in his career. And it's why you look at a guy like Buddy Heald here in Indiana, who again, by a shooting guard standpoint, is on the shorter end, but his skill has staying power because it's the ability to shoot. Right. You can shoot deep into your 30s. You can't play like Victor Oladipo plays deep into your 30s. And then when these injuries, of course, start to pile up, that's why you know he's been relegated to you know a, a, a back end of the bench player in Miami. And now, obviously, health is not in his favor at all. So in a way, those types of players, to me, it's a little reminiscent of dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL. And that's why I, I think the Anthony Richardson, Jake, um, I think that that aspect is going to be interesting to watch. You know, Richardson obviously is built like a tight end or a D end. So is he able to withstand some of that wear and tear and deeper in his career? Or does naturally, a guy that runs first, is it always going to catch up to you? Here's the thing. At the quarterback position, there, there are three kinds of quarterbacks. There are QBs that, that are statues that just have to stand in the pocket and throw. Okay, that are not mobile weapons at all. Peyton Manning. There are quarterbacks that are really good passers that can run the football if need be, but they are more than that simply passers. But they have the ability, if need be, to run. They just don't rely on that. Russell Wilson. And then you have quarterbacks that are basically running backs with an ability to throw the football and they want to run first and their passing game is is necessary or is predicated on their ability to keep defenses at bay on their heels because of their legs right that would be you know what michael vick or even randall cunningham to go back to kind of the original both of those guys were good passers michael vick had an had an incredibly strong arm and could could absolutely laser through windows. Now, did he do it with incredible accuracy? Probably not to the point you'd like. And Randall Cunningham could throw the ball. Absolutely could throw the ball. But a lot of that was once play defenses were breaking down because he was scrambling all, all over the place. Once those guys' legs went away, and then they had to just become pocket passers. That's when they were exposed, and their careers were shortened. Exposed is maybe the wrong word, but they didn't have the the overwhelming zip on the football and accuracy as a pocket guy to be able to to withstand it once that luxury of their legs went away. Richardson to me, and to perhaps like Levis to me, I haven't seen enough of Anthony Richardson or Will Levis either one to to intelligently necessarily make definitive statement, but it appears as though Richardson is a guy that is so incredibly big and athletic that he does fit the Shane Steichen type offense that he can kind of do both, but is he too reliant on his legs? Levis can run as well, but he seem, Levis seems to be by design a more intent passer first. But then I look at Jalen Hurts, who a lot of people said was not a pocket passer, and look at what he did under Shane Steichen. He's now one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the league. So that gives you flexibility. Yeah, uh, Hurts certainly had you know, great moments in in college. Um, I think there are some concerns with Richardson over, you know, if you're just going to start for one year, you need to be pretty generational in that one year, like Lamar Jackson was at Louisville, like Cam Newton was at Auburn. And he was not that. I do want to go back to that that clip we played earlier for Joel Erickson. And, and Jake, I want 
you to react to it because you know when Chris Ballard said this comment on Friday, and I'll provide some context around it. I, I found it very odd. The, the the question was about how much you monitor like teams behind you and them trading up potentially over you. So it wasn't really a, about a player or it wasn't about like any sort of smokescreen or quarterbacks or anything like that. And unprompted, Ballard offered this comment. Um, and and I, again, it's six days before the draft when he said it. You're just trying to find any sort of tea leaves to it. So maybe my mind just got racing naturally because of that. But here was Chris Ballard, very unprompted on Friday. This is the main assumption right now, that we have targeted one guy to go get. I don't, I don't know if that's an accurate assumption. When you hear that, Jake, my initial thought, and I leaned over to Stephen Holder a few questions after that, and I rarely do this, but I said to Stephen, like, because Stephen and I were both trying to get one more question, and I'm like, are you, are you trying to ask him about that, that, that answer? He's like, yeah. I, I'm like, why did he say that? Why did he offer that up, and is that Will Levis? Because I, I think if there's any player that's been pegged to the Colts here, whether you could say locally um, or nationally, it's probably been Levis. Agreed. And I think that that comes from people who assume that the owner is the one that likes Will Levis. Um, my fear, Kevin, my fear, and I'm sure – that people on 56th Street, when they hear this, are going to be like, whatever, dude. My fear is that the owner and general manager may have different people in mind. And if that's the case, then who gets the ultimate say? And I know that ultimately Chris Ballard has the ultimate say, but does Chris Ballard in the back of his mind default to Jim Mercer's comments at the owners' meetings that, the insinuation that Ballard's footing is not as firm as it was. So under that assumption, Jake, are you saying Shane Steichen does not have any say? Are you looking at Ursay and Ballard as the two decision makers here? Yes. I think Steichen would report to Ballard. I don't think Steichen can overpower Ballard. Do you? Yeah, I, I just think Shane Steichen's got to be a huge chunk of the decision-making pie. I mean, you gave him a six-year deal. You hired him because of his quarterback background, and now you're not going to listen to him on the most well, important decision this franchise has had in years. But, but all three of those guys have the similar. It's a matter. I think all three of those guys are pretty similar in in the style that they play. It's a matter of which one you think plays that style best, right? Between Richardson, Levis, and you know Stroud. Well, Stroud I, is certainly a pocket passer. Yeah. Well. Stroud is by far to the best me, I, I, passer in this class. All of this to me is a if if CJ Stroud is on the board, I, this is all a moot point, right? You know, got to go with CJ Stroud. I, I I would agree with that. I thought Joel, and I'm glad that he kind of went into detail on it. I, I get it's a little nerdy, but I was glad that Joel brought up him asking Chris Ballard off to the side about that S two test of the combine, and Ballard really kind of clammed up. And that is very unlike Ballard to do that. Um, to me, that's an indicator of like that S2 test means something to the Colts. And if it does mean something to you, then would, what would that mean for C.J. Stroud? Now, Devil's Advocate would say, Jalen Hurts did not score very high on it, and look what happened, or has happened, with Shane Steichen. So, again, for me, Shane Steichen needs to be the biggest decision maker out of that trio. What, what on Chris Ballard's resume leads you to think he should make the quarterback decision. What on Jim Irsay's resume? He had the number one overall pick in 98 and 2012. Shane Steichen's the one that has actually developed yeah. and gotten guys to play at a peak performance. So to me, it's a no-brainer of those three who should have the decision. Now again, I'm not naive. I wasn't born yesterday. You also don't know how long Shane Steichen's going to be around. Right? Well, it's a six-year deal. I, I get it, but I mean, so was how long was Frank Reich's? I mean, Shane Steichen, to me... I would assume he's got a long... I mean, if, if Shane Steichen doesn't work out, Chris Ballard's but, gone. But, well, totally agree. But we're coming off... Keep in mind, we're coming off a head coach that was a quarterback whisperer that had a lot of years and a lot of money left on the contract, right? Yeah, I I do feel like Steichen's quarterback resume, to me, 
is a little bit better than the Reich resume. You know, when you look at Reich, um, you could say it cancels out Philip Rivers with Reich, Philip Rivers with Steichen. So then you go to Wentz. You know, Reich got Wentz to play at an MVP level, and then all then obviously it, he tore his ACL and Reich left, and uh, Wentz never got back there. To me, what Shane Steichen did with Justin Herbert, and I feel like we we forget this about Herbert. Justin Herbert was drafted in 2026 overall. That was the COVID year. Shane Steichen was the Chargers OC in that season. Tyrod Taylor was supposed to be the starter and was the starter. And remember, he got a little shot up in the wrong spot and it was a freak accident and all of a sudden he can't start like week two or week three. So then boom, Justin Herbert with no offseason or very little offseason reps in a COVID year, he gets thrown into the fire and throws for the most touchdowns that any rookie's ever done in the NFL. And then he goes to Philly. And obviously, you see Jalen Hurts make big-time strides from year one to two and two to three. That's why the Steichen resume stands out. I will say this on the Colts' belief in that S2 test, which side of the ledger will they be on? While Jalen Hurts is a guy that scored low on it and has played well, Shane Steichen told the story back at the Combine during that COVID draft where they met with Justin Herbert on Zoom. And basically, early on in the Zoom interaction, they told Herbert some concepts or some plays, and they're like, hey, you know, we're going to tell you this now, and at the end of it, we want you to draw something up or show us kind of your, your memory and your intel and your recall. And Herbert did that and blew them out of the water, and Steichen remembered that and that leaving a strong impression. So if that happened to Shane Steichen with Justin Herbert... If that does not happen with C.J. Stroud, would that be viewed as a negative for Shane Steichen? The the tests themselves, I, we should take them in here. The Wonderlick and the what's the S two you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, Man, it's like a forty five minute test. Telephone car, it's Scantron based, and either of those a blue Scantron is a based. Bear, a the only is a young I man. saw one example of a question, and basically they flashed up a diamond. Mm-hmm. And there are multiple diamonds, and it flashed up for like a millisecond. I mean, really quick. And the diamond was missing. Let's say there are four diamonds. Each was missing a point on one of the four points. And it was your job then to say with the keys whether it was the left, right, up, or down. It's like an eye exam then. I think it is a little bit more of like a hand-eye coordination and recall. Not Better like or worse. <laughs> a lep worse. is a ball. A lep is a ball, and you come back for the eye step test. So yeah, maybe we should do S two and mayo and coffee on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. No, no, the the mayo thing that's happening, no. huh? It's just a matter of are you a team player or not. Mark, will you bring we, the mayo in? Yeah, I will bring it Wednesday. Let's do that Wednesday. What what do we? Is it a spoonful? A nice dollop, I'd say. Mm, nice dollop. dollop. I can hear the clump into yeah. the coffee. Splash. And I'll, I'll, I'll go to the camera side on Jake's side so he can get a nice whiff mm-hmm. if he's not going to participate. Perfect. But we can make some coffee uh, in the kitchen. I'll bring it over. We'll do some mayo. We'll toast. Okay. Jake will vomit, and then we'll continue with the, with the toast, show. How about vo- uh, Vegemite on the toast? Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Boy. I mean, are you participating yeah. or are you, you, know are you just are you New just Year's resolution for me to lose weight? It could happen this week Here's with how thing. things are Here's looking. The thing. Here's the thing. I had you guys taste Vegemite, and I believe neither of you kept it down, right? Oh, I oh, kept, kept it, it down. down but, mm. I mean, I'm not you know, running I gagged, to the international I grocery store for it. But neither of you claimed ahead of time a blatant, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Is aversion disgust? the right word? Yes, disgust for Vegemite. I, I I am confessing to you, not only a blatant disgust for mayonnaise, but what I would list is essentially a hatred. And in addition to that, the the consistency is a bit alarming. <laughs> if I'm going to be fully transparent, just the thought of it. But I'll give just, it a go. Yeah. No. Oh my gosh! Just the thought of mayonnaise—it is the most horrifically disgusting 
substance on the planet. Mm-hmm. On the planet. Jake's going to show up Wednesday with a letter from Motman. My client cannot do it. I guarantee you Motman would agree with me. Guarantee it. Yeah, but then you'd say it's for the show, and he'd say, go right ahead, Jake. No, 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 no. Maybe Motman said, yeah, go ahead, because that means my Lions can maybe move up. Motman would probably rather have me fire up a lung dart right here than than do mayonnaise. (laughs) I'm telling you. Just wait till Carb Day. That can be done about 7.02 coming up here. With your Coors Banquet? Uh Uh-huh, exactly. (laughs) I I say we, we scheduled for Wednesday. We'll see if Jake's a team player or not. You and I will participate, and Jake is TBD. I'm in. Okay. Jake, you got uh, Barbara this weekend, is that right? That is correct. Uh, as a matter of fact, it looks like we're going... I'm a little bummed because my stallions are on the road, the USFL. I, I did watch some USFL and XFL action on Saturday. I just cannot get into it, guys. Let no, me tell you. you. The, what's that? No, thank you. The I can't XFL, even tell you what they're on. What they're on. The St. Louis Battlehawks had... I heard Jack I'm, Collinsworth on the call. I was like, oh, God. They probably had 20,000 people in St. Louis for that game, and then I flipped over to the USFL... And it was Houston and somebody, and I think it was in Houston, and I kid you not, there was not a single person in the stands. Oh, yeah. Going back to COVID? I mean, it was like, oh my gosh. Uh, the Birmingham game, Birmingham had some fans, but keep in mind, that's where they played all the games last year, so maybe people like know about it. I don't know. But um, we are going to the Birmingham Barons game on Saturday night, taking on the Tennessee Smokies. Nice. I got us... Uh, you paint your chest with a baron on it? I got front row seats for us. Eight of them right there in the front row along the right field line. You guys going to be jumping on tables in the parking lot before Heck the yeah. game? Heck yeah. I love Birmingham. Barber's cool, but... Who's the most obscure player on the Barons? Michael Jordan. That's where he played, you know. They used to play the Birmingham Barons or double-A baseball. They played in the oldest consecutive major... Li- or oldest consecutive professional baseball stadium in the country. Until like four years ago, who's the uh, who's the affiliate? It was White Sox, obviously, but uh, I'm not sure now. Who are the Ten Caps affiliate? Now that's a good. Ten one Caps too. is Double A, right? Uh, ten Caps is is it single or Double A? You look up uh, the Ten Caps. I'll look up the Barons here. Was that me or Mark? Either one. Because what do we do on this program, Mark? We educate and entertain. Thank you. Uh, the Chicago White Sox still for the Birmingham Barons. They are in. They play in Regions Field in downtown Birmingham. The Fort Wayne Tin Caps, Padres. the High A Midwest League affiliate of the San Diego Padres. Really? Wow. Used to be the nothing, Twins. Nothing says San Diego like mm-hmm. Fort Wayne. <laughs> I hear Parkview Field. Juan Soto, you got to go do a rehab assignment. Go to Fort Wayne. Where? By the, by the way, huh? I hear Parkview Field is great. Do you guys know what a Baron is? I, I boy, I know. I, I, like I thought a baron, I, I think of like the red baron. I thought of a baron as like a, a guy that flies like a, a double prop plane, like in the military. It's like a nobility action. thing or something. It's like a Mark is correct. Oh I, yes, I'm a baron of a baron Winchester. is a member of the lowest order of the British nobility. <laughs> Mark, that was really well done. Thank you. What, what, how'd you do that again? I said I'm the baron of Winchester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> uh, the lowest form of, of nobility. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Mark, we're having Ross Tucker on tomorrow? Yep, Ross who's, Tucker, 8 o'clock. Who's Charles the Baron Davis of on this Wednesday. program? Charles Who? Yeah. Who's the lowest form of nobility on well, this show? Well, we'll see what happens Wednesday morning, and we'll <laughs> determine those rankings then. Uh, pop quiz coming up in a few. 317-239-1070 for that. For now, morning check down. I, 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 I can't even... I, I, <laughs> I can smell the mayonnaise. Right now, I can smell it. Your guys' favorite NBA series, not Kings-Warriors. You know... The games haven't been too competitive. I must say, the environments in Madison Square Garden were pretty darn good here the last few nights. It's, it's kind of hard to argue that. But Jim Dolan, though, can I, I know, really... I know, but those Knicks fans in the street, I just laugh. I think it's great. I'm, I mean, I'm... I'm by default, I'm kind of in on Bucks Heat, mm-hmm, just with the sure. unknown of Giannis, and then my brother's a diehard Bucks fan at the moment, and just every game, he's like, I, I don't know what's happening, Giannis needs to get in here, I don't know what's happening, or maybe he should sit, I don't know. It sounds very iffy for tonight. Yeah. I mean, he showed up on the money lines and, and betting wagers, like, ahead of the game, so I was like, oh, is he going to give it a go? No, he didn't, so. Yeah. Uh, Lakers-Grizzlies, to me, a little bit, because of the, the whole Brooks and LeBron mm-hmm. deal. Yeah. I, the, right there, the Grizzlies, we didn't even discuss it. They scored seven points, no, nine. They had nine points in a quarter. 
It was the biggest first quarter lead ever in playoff Correct. history, right? And it was the second lowest total in, a, in an opening quarter in playoff history. I watched the, the first quarter, and I'm like, I think I can quarter. check out of this game now, and I'll be yeah, okay. It yeah, was ridiculous. So those are the two games tonight. Uh, Milwaukee and Miami, game four. Again, the Heat lead 2-1. I think it's the first time in six or seven years you've had an eight-seed beating a one seed through three games of that series. And then the nightcap will be the Lakers at home trying to go up 3-1 on Memphis. Yesterday, the Knicks went up 3-1 on Cleveland. Golden State and Sacramento continue to hold serve on home floor. Boy, Harrison Barnes, you imagine how he felt getting that look there at the end, trying to do it to his former team. He missed that three at the end, so Steph Curry... Breathe a sigh of relief. So that series at 2-2. Boston up 3-1 now. And the Timberwolves did avoid a sweep. Anthony Edwards uh, pretty big in that one as they hold on. And they actually won in overtime. They almost blew it in regulation. Anthony Edwards is one of the best young Denver players 3-1. no one talks about, by the way. So what the hell does Minnesota do? Like, Do they trade Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably because Gobert, I mean... I mean, now you're rebuilding around Edwards, yeah. right? Yeah, Edwards, I'm telling you, he's, he's really good. By the way, uh, we'll go with some NHL scores. It was Carolina over the Islanders 5-2. That is a 3-1 series lead now for Carolina. This in the NHL playoff. Boston Bruins 6-2 over the Panthers. Boston now leads three games to one. Tied at two games apiece. The Stars and the Wild, because the Stars 3-2 winners, Dallas over the Wild, and then the Edmonton Oilers 5-4 winners over the LA Kings. That ties that in two games apiece as well. Indy Fuel down to love and their playoff. Who, who are your guys' teams again? I know Home Kevin. Tuesday and Thursday, the Fuel, by the way, if you're looking for something. I was torn between Islanders and Rangers. I thought Islanders you took and the Rangers. Avalanche, Kevin. Yeah, I took the Avalanche. And then I thought, I could have sworn I took the Pirates in Major League Baseball. You guys keep on oh, having yeah. me down for the A's. Uh-huh. I could have sworn I had the Pirates. I no, no. You went with the A's because you know a dude that knows a dude. <laughs> Pretty mm-hmm. much, right? yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, they're a small market. Oh wait, they're moving to Vegas. <laughs> uh, we got a mom of four. Okay, here on Twitter, the mayo in the coffee is probably like people who put coconut oil in their coffee. You need to put it in a blender, not just plop it in. Oh, we're plopping. We don't have. I think we're anymore. gonna have to plop. Plop and maybe a stir. But I do appreciate the uh, the advice. Thank you, DJ Scott, for that. Plop. Jake right, can Mark? either do yeah, of course. Jake can either do the spoonful in the coffee, or he can just do the spoonful straight without the coffee. Because you're not a coffee guy, right? So you just want to do the mayo on the spoon. I'm not doing it <laughs> anywhere. You, you could cover it in Nutella. You sound like Denny Green right there. They are who we thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just telling you now. If, if you get that mayo, I mean, you're gonna get a whiff of it. I'm gonna be right that, over there. Just the sight of it. I'm gonna let you uncork the cap, take a big look at it, take a whiff. I, I'm I'm starting to sweat right now over the thought of this. Here comes the airplane, Jake. More mayo covered airplane than mayonnaise. Coming in for a landing right under the nose. Pop quiz next. Jake's going to have to do a lap, I think. Pop quiz next. I'm already starting to worry. 